0: great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the Word great is thy faithfulness Let's pray together. Father God, you are the creator, sustainer, and redeemer. God, we gather because you have united us in Christ. We have purpose because you have called us and sent us out in Christ. God, we love because you first loved us, and you sent your Son to purchase our redemption. Let our worship this morning bring glory to your name and shape us as your people through your word and by your spirit, to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. All right. How's everybody doing today? There it is. I've been waiting for that, Tim. Tim. Good. Tim is feeling great, and if you know Tim, he is always feeling great, even when he's not. Uh, but great to be here. Uh, our kids, youth, just got back from a mission trip. Yeah. I feel like it's a win for parents and the gospel as a whole when you send a bunch of kids to work eight hours of day in the eight hours a day in the hot sun, and they come back saying. It was the most fun they've ever had. I almost feel like we've been failing at something in parenting. Like, I think they need to work more. That's the moral of the story. But uh, you'll hear more about that uh, at the announcements. Great to be here. We are still working our way through Galatians. We're in chapter 5 today, verses 13 through 15, as Morgan just read. And last week, we talked about the necessity of Christian freedom, or the freedom that is ours in Christ. We talked about how when we trust in Christ Jesus by faith, we are set free. And that freedom is not primarily a freedom from sin, but a freedom from condemnation. The yoke of slavery has been removed, and we now stand fully justified, fully accepted, fully loved, and fully secure in God through the finished work of Jesus. We have been reconciled to God, and there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But as we discussed, this is something that we must both believe and live. We must stand firm in these truths and not submit ourselves again to the yoke of slavery to the law, to righteous actions. And in our text this morning, Paul is continuing to talk about this freedom we have in Christ, but he is expanding his explanation of this freedom. Last week, we focused in on what we need to live in this freedom, or the fact that we need to live inside of this freedom. And this morning, he's going to talk about how it is that we live in this freedom. Because when we trust in Jesus Christ and are filled by the Spirit, we are set free. We are free from condemnation. And the natural outflow of living in this freedom is that we grow more and more like Christ in the way that we desire to walk in obedience to God, in the way that we love others and serve others. But our sinful flesh can pervert and corrupt anything. And it's possible to claim this this freedom for ourselves with a skewed perspective and to live in such a way that is contrary to the call of Jesus on our lives. Contrary to the love that we have experienced. And so Paul is kind of going to warn us about how we use this freedom. And he begins in verse 13 saying, For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. And this is really just a reiteration of last week. We are both positionally free. That is our standing before God is as one who has been justified. There is no fear of condemnation. But we are also called to freedom. We're called to live out our lives through this freedom, inside this freedom that we have in Christ. And just as you can have a leader who doesn't lead or a king that is not kingly, Paul wants to make sure that we are not free men and women choosing a life of slavery. He wants our lives on this earth to reflect the reality of the freedom that is ours. But how do we do that? And what's the nature of this freedom that we have? It's not really the easiest question to answer because this idea of freedom has been very skewed by our culture americans we love freedom language we love freedom fries right yeah they're not french fry they're freedom fries but what exactly do we mean by freedom and what does scripture mean by freedom what is paul referencing because if we were to take our cultural americanized understanding of freedom as the definition of Christian freedom Paul is discussing in our text, we're going to be way off. We're going to miss it. Things are not going to go well for us. So what is this freedom? I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the cultural, worldly idea of freedom, but I think it's important to start there, to give us some context and maybe some contrast. At its very core, our cultural definition of freedom is to live in a society without oppression or unjust rule. That's kind of the the basics. And that's how our country was founded. And it's a wonderful blessing to live inside of this kind of freedom. It's a huge blessing. But we need to be clear that this type of freedom is not something promised in Scripture. At least, not until Jesus returns in glory. When, when Paul wrote these exact words, most of the world was living under Roman rule. So, freedom from earthly oppression, living in a free society in this way, is a tremendous blessing from God, but it is not what is promised by God for this life. It is not the freedom that Paul is referencing in this text. With that said, the biblical understanding of freedom is similar in definition. It is also freedom from oppression. But what the Jews missed, and what's so easy for us to miss, is that our greatest need is not freedom from worldly establishments or powers but freedom from sin and death, and the condemnation that comes with them. The biblical view of freedom is spiritual, and it is eternal. It is freedom of conscience, freedom from condemnation. And it's so important that we understand the difference here, because for countless Christians around the world and throughout history, their freedom in Christ was experienced and lived out in physical slavery, in oppression, in hardship, in persecution, for their entire existence, with their eyes fixed on the eternal promises of God. And when we miss this, when our understanding of freedom is only temporal— It's this temporal societal idea only rooted in the here and now. Things go south quickly. See, our unalienable rights as American citizens, per the Declaration of Independence, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the happiness described herein is solely focused on our temporal existence, on an earthly kingdom, Throughout Scripture, our God is pointing to an eternal hope, an eternal promise, an eternal joy which frees us to enjoy this life, which frees us from the bondage of the temporal. God says, here's how I created you to live. Here's how you will find happiness and joy. I've made a way for you to be in my presence I've given you instructions on how to navigate this life with your hope fixed on my eternal promises. And the joy, the fulfillment, and the life you desire is found in the obedience that comes from faith. But in a free country, here's where things break down. When the pursuit of one's happiness becomes primary... And we're told that we have unfettered freedom of choice. The flesh will never choose submission to God. It won't. And the tragic reality of pursuing happiness outside of God with unfettered freedom of choice is a culture that has devolved into deeper and deeper sin. It it can't help it. Because God created us to find this happiness or joy in Him, and apart from Him, we will search and seek, buy and build, fight and claw for this elusive joy, but never find it. We see it all over. This so-called freedom has led to a society where marriage covenants are optional because the pursuit of my happiness trumps faithfulness. It's led to a society where greed and envy and marginalizing others is normative because the pursuit of my happiness trumps loving others. It's led to a society where even the gender which we were born with can be brought into question because the pursuit of my happiness trumps nature itself. This is the idea of freedom that is presented in our culture. It is unfettered freedom of choice, void of God, and it's destructive. And so, what Paul's getting at in our text this morning is that you are free in Christ. You have been emancipated from the bondage of sin and death, but we must understand the nature and the purpose of this freedom. You were called to freedom, brothers. This freedom that we have in Christ is first and foremost this freedom of conscience. Freedom from condemnation. We've been set free to no longer live under the debilitating burden of our guilt. We are no longer striving to earn God's favor. That's what we've been set free from. But we've also been set free to something. We've been set free to love. Set free to worship God in spirit and truth. Set free to walk in the obedience that comes from faith. Set free to honor God with our lives with no fear or anxiety or doubt. And it's crazy, in this letter, right, we've been in it for months, wholly dedicated to pushing back against the Judaizers and their their teaching about seeking righteousness through the law, Paul basically says, you've been set free from condemnation so that you can now obey the law. Did you you catch that? He's dropping the law on them. And the law is summed up in this. Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have been set free to love. To pour out and lay down your life for others. This is what Christ came to do, and this is what we have been set free for, to reflect the love that we have experienced in Jesus with no fear of condemnation. And so we are at the same time set free from condemnation, and we are now, Romans 6, 19, slaves to righteousness. We are set free And we are slaves to righteousness. But the flesh wants no part of a freedom that is costly. The flesh wants the unfettered, self-centered freedom of choice. Our flesh wants to pursue whatever looks satisfying, whatever catches the eye, whatever shallow promises of fleeting joy it can find. I want the car, I want the vacation, I want the the right friend group or the Instagram snapshot of a perfect family or well-organized house. And when we entertain this thinking, when we view our lives through the lens of self and gratify the desires of the flesh, those around us will naturally become adversaries. They will become resources or tools in the pursuit of our own happiness. We will, as Paul says, bite and devour one another in the pursuit of our happiness and will ultimately be consumed. We will consume one another when we are all focused on ourselves. And so, where I think the divergence exists between our cultural idea of freedom and this biblical idea of freedom that we have in Christ is this. The biblical idea of freedom is not ultimately about you or me. It stings a little bit. This freedom is not ultimately about you. You and I are not the point. We're not the point of this freedom. Our freedom is not the ultimate end for this life. We are not set free from oppression so that we can now take the reins of this life as the Lord's over our own kingdom. We were hopelessly in bondage. We were captives to sin and death. And we were liberated by the conquering King Jesus. But we were not liberated unto ourselves. We were not liberated to pursue our own happiness. We were liberated to worship the one true King. We were set free to bring glory to Jesus as we walk in obedience to the Father. And the beautiful blessing and grace of our loving Father is that it is in this very worship and obedience that God promises the joy and the happiness that we seek. Joy is not found in unfettered freedom of choice, but in rightly directed submission and faith in the God who created us and called us to himself. 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I know that's like gut punch to the pride, right? Don't tell me I'm not my own. You're not. Not my words. Don't get mad at me. God says you are not your own. You have been purchased. You're not the God of you. You don't have unfettered freedom of choice. You belong to God. You were redeemed from death that you might glorify God in your body on this earth. You see, when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, super feel-good text. Love it. But we have to realize it's still a yoke. Ever think about that? You're taking off one yoke and you're putting on another. We still live under a master. But this master and Lord is saying, let me lead you to life and joy and rest. Follow me. Watch me. Learn from me. The narrow path of true life is riddled with danger. But I will guide you. I will walk with you. I've given you my word and my spirit to help you along this path and a community of faith to walk with you and sometimes carry you. And this is not easy. Our flesh is constantly telling us to fight for what is ours, to defend what is ours, to justify ourselves before others, to defend ourselves before others. Christ freed us from that. He's freed us from the burden of justification, of unforgiveness, of bitterness. Because here is the reality. If the freedom and love that we have experienced in Christ does not move us to forgiveness and love, we don't understand that which we have been set free from. We don't understand the depths of our own sin or the grace and love that has been shown to us through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can refuse to forgive others. The freedom we have in Christ is not just freedom from being condemned, though, it's also freedom from harboring condemnation. Matthew 18. Peter came. Great question by Peter, by the way. Lord, how many times will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven? I mean, seven's a lot. I think Peter was like, I'm going to go big. I'm going to go seven, and maybe you'll tell me only five, right? We play that game. Kids, like, how long can I be on the computer, you know? Iris is the king, queen of that, I guess. How many times? Seven is a lot, okay? And Jesus is like, hmm, no. How about 77? That just means you just forgive him every time. Unless this person's really horrible. But I think he meant more than 77 if necessary. 77. You keep forgiving. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. He rolls into a parable. (laughs) Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began, one was brought to him that owed 10,000 talents. That's a lot. I don't know how much, but the whole point is it's a whole lot. 10,000. But he couldn't pay, so the master said, send him to jail with his wife and his children until he pays, which it's really hard to pay when you're in jail, Right? So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Right? He didn't just let him out of jail and say, now go get a real job. He said, paid in full. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Once again, not much, little bit. And he seized him and choked him and said, Pay me. This guy is not cool. So his fellow servant fell down. Same thing, have patience on me and I will pay you. But he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the entire debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had happened. Then his master summoned him and said to him, "'You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant?' as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Whew, it's like a really awesome story. And then at the very end, it's like a throat punch. Right? Seven times, Peter? Seven? You just, whoa. So also will my Father do to you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart 77,000 times. See, the only way we can harbor unforgiveness for a brother or sister in Christ is if we don't know or understand what we've been forgiven for if we have a skewed perspective of our own righteousness. And what I hope we see this morning is that forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is a gift of God. Both the forgiveness we experience and the forgiveness that we show. Because harboring unforgiveness or bitterness just eats you alive. It destroys you. Just as Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed. Unforgiveness will consume you. And forgiveness isn't looking past an offense, it's not overlooking wrong or pretending like nothing happened. It is looking to God. It's looking to the God who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. When we forgive, even the greatest offenses, we are giving it over to God. We are releasing ourselves from the bondage of unforgiveness knowing that God will deal with every single sin, either on the cross, by the blood of Jesus, or at the final judgment. But no sin, big or small, Will go unpunished, not one. Forgiveness is a gift of God. It is freedom from harboring condemnation. So, this freedom we have in Christ is freedom from harboring condemnation, and it's also freedom from heaping condemnation on others. Because sometimes it's not that we've really been sinned against and need to forgive someone or need to be forgiven. It's just simply that we kind of live under that yoke of performance and action, probably a little too judgy on ourselves, which typically ends up with us just, with this destructive byproduct is that we kind of look at everyone else's actions and judge. I know nobody probably has ever experienced that before, but You know, just kind of looking at their shortcomings and their failures and condemning them. And sometimes that condemnation is voiced, right? Spouses, family members, good friends, they get the best of us sometimes, right? They're going to actually hear the condemnation. And then other times, it's just this internal posture of our hearts. We harbor condemnation, a lack of approval lack of trust, because, I mean, they fell short. They didn't live up to the standard that we've created. They failed. But this, obviously, is void of grace. It is blindness to the gospel, because every human being that has ever existed to this day, with the exception of Jesus, has fallen short. They have failed. They have sinned, and they deserve condemnation. But as those who have experienced the unmerited favor and grace of God for our own sinfulness, can we really stand in condemnation over others? Can that really be the posture of our hearts? Our call is to reflect and to herald the love of Jesus that both freed us from condemnation and freed us from harboring the bitterness of condemnation over others. We've been set free to forgive, set free to show grace, set free to love. As Paul says, don't use your freedom As an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And then he says the whole law is summed up in a word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If there were one word to define the entirety of the Christian life, it would be love would be love. It was in love that God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters before the foundation of the world. And it's in love that our faith is established. That's what Paul prays in Ephesians three seventeen through 19, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's love. And as we read a few weeks ago, the whole trajectory of our life together as the covenant people of God is that we would would be so connected to Jesus and so connected to one another, so in tune with the Spirit as a community, that when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I pray that we see this this morning. We have been set free from condemnation so that we might love. We are now slaves to love. As a people who have experienced a love that surpasses knowledge, the love that has freed us from the bondage of sin and death and condemnation, How can we not seek to show that love, to stand as a city on a hill proclaiming to the world that there is a love that surpasses knowledge, a freedom from the lie of self-centered, self-gratifying freedom propagated by this world, a place of rest and life and joy that is beyond anything we could imagine? This is what has been promised in Jesus. This is the freedom that is ours. And we've been called to dwell on this love and freedom, to worship God for all that he has done in us and all the promises that are ours through Jesus. And we've been called to be heralds of this love, to imitate Jesus by laying down our lives, even laying down some of our personal freedoms at times to proclaim an eternal hope and joy. I mean, imagine the power of a community like that. So secure in Christ that we had no need to defend ourselves or justify ourselves. So free in Christ that we could love without reservation Gladly pouring ourselves out so that others might experience the love of Jesus through us. So confident that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that we lived our lives for the sole purpose of bringing glory to God and seeing his spirit transform the landscape of the city. That's my prayer. That we would be so overwhelmed by the love that we have experienced that we couldn't hold it in. That this would be a place where the love of Christ bursts forth from the seams with such power that the world could not help but take notice and would long to know the God that we serve. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you and we worship you for this love that we have been shown. God, not because of anything we have done or will ever do, but surely only by your grace. God, I pray that we would experience this love more and more and that this community would be marked by this love. That the way we live and love and serve would point the world to your great love. That your church would grow, God. That we would see life brought out of death through the saving work of Jesus.
1: Amen. Praise God
0: from whom all blessings. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.